You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight the Vikings with Mike Wabshaw, the Vikings Entertainment Network, and focus on injuries with injury analyst Will Carroll. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former Rams running back and Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson. ED, thanks so much for coming back on the show. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? We are doing well. We were just talking about the MVP race between Tom Brady and Todd Gurley. How do you see it? Brady with the solid numbers once more. Gurley better than 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Well, you know, I know they always want to give it to the quarterback for sure. But, you know, I look at, I look at both of these teams. And, and if you would take Tom Brady away from the Patriots, uh, I think the Patriots would still make the playoffs. I think they're still a good football team. I always think Tom is probably the greatest quarterback to ever play. But he has one of the greatest coaches also. You know, I believe in that system that they have over there. If you take Todd Gurley away from the Rams, the Rams are pretty much like they were last year. They may be two or three games better, but not much, much, not much better than that. And I think that comes into effect. Of, you know, what do you mean to your team? I mean, and Todd has a year, but so has Tom. He's had a great year too. But, you know, I know that they love to give this award to quarterbacks because it's a quarterback league. But I think that really, for sure, Todd has earned this, this award this year. Indeed, good to have you on the show, my brother. Um, I would say this about the New England Patriots. Even though quarterbacks do come in and play well, we saw what happened with uh, Jacoby Brissett and, and Jimmy Garoppolo. They got injured, so I don't think they would have lasted. And, and I think Sean McVay is the difference maker with, with how good that offense is, whether it's Ty Gurley or not. But he needs to be in there to get it done. Do you think their inexperience uh, will, will, will cause them to, to sputter just a little bit to the point where they may get behind when it comes down to scoring touchdowns and have to find themselves in some way to be able to get it done as a young football team? Well, look, I, I can think about when I first played my first playoff game, you know, as, as a rookie. Uh, it was just another game to me. I mean, I think football is football. You know, you know, you, it's, one, it's one and done if you lose the game. You know, when you get into the playoffs, you don't think about it. You think about, yeah, I'm in the playoff game. But the game is going on. You don't you don't think about oh I'm, I'm in the playoff game. I'm in the playoff game. You just think about playing football after that first hit, that first tackle, that first throw. Then we just playing football. And, and however the outcome is, that's how the outcome falls. Uh, I don't think that I know we have a young people say we have a young football team, but this is a football team, you know. And sometimes young teams don't realize, you know, hey, they're just young. I'm not worried about playing. I'm not worried about the playoffs or anything like that. When you look when you look at the Rams and, and watch them play and talk to the players, first thing they say is. I just want to play football. That's it. We don't care if it's playoffs or if it's a regular season game. So um, I expect them to play well this week. Hopefully, you know, being at home is, a, is always a plus. You know, we've done better on the road than we've done at home this year. But, you know, it's a playoff game. But like I say, I don't expect anything different from the Rams that I've seen all year long. Eric Dickerson is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn ED. You spend a lot of time around the team. You have a front office role. How long did it take you this year to come to the conclusion Sean McVay could be a very effective head coach in the NFL? Well, I think I was like a lot of people after last year's debacle, uh, showing, the team showing up in L.A. Uh, the offense was horrible. The defense is what the defense was last year. I think the defense won our four games that we had. And I think it had been so such a mediocre team for so long, I think you almost expected mediocrity out of whoever took that job. You just wasn't sure. You know, I didn't know who Sean McVay was. I'd heard about him. 
I talked to some players in Washington. They say, Eric, man, I'll tell you, man, he's a good guy. He's a good coach. He said he loves football. He knows football. He's a great offensive mind. And I would tell you, honestly, probably like week five, that's when I'm like, okay, we've got a pretty good team here. Because, you know, when you, when you see, when you saw the team last year, they were so boring to watch offensively. I mean, the defense is what the defense was, but offensively it was horrible. And this year, they're exciting to watch. They really are. They, they, they bring back those memories of the greatest show on turf in St. Louis because they're that exciting. Eric, you wear one of the most luxurious sport coats in all of everything. That sports, life, everything. Jacket. It's the gold jacket. It's the <laughs> Hall of Fame jacket, my brother. <laughs> Tell me about these two wide receivers named Randy Moss and T.O. Do you think these two guys get in the same way we saw Terrell, um, Terrell Davis as well as LT last year at the running back position? Well, why not? I mean, look, when I think of the Hall of Fame, you think when you think when you talk about players, you talk about players who made an impact. I mean, an impact on the game when, when they played. You know, a, a team that that played them had the game plan for them. That's what that's what you have to look at. Terrell Owens was that guy. I mean, you might not like him, you might not like his antics or whatever you say, but as a player, you can't deny he was one of the greatest players ever played. You know, here's the guy that's second only behind Jerry Rice, but they're going to take receivers that's number ninth, tenth. It's like, okay, I'm, I, you got number one, but I don't want the second guy. I want the, I want the tenth guy. I mean, that doesn't, even add, that doesn't even add up, you know. And same with Randy Moss. Randy Moss had a great NFL career. I mean, he had some troubles off the field, uh, you know, with the law and all that kind of stuff. But I always say, look, all of us are young. That you, you, when you're young, you're a different person when you get older. You just are. You, you look at life different. T.O.'s the same guy. T.O. was young. T.O.'s never had any running with the police, drugs, beating women, none of that kind of stuff. It comes down to sports writers not liking you. That's, what, that's all it is. I, I'll tell you the story. God told me when I, got, when I got inducted, he said, Eric, he said, you were a unanimous choice. Except one guy would not vote for you. And he said, and he said I'm not going to say who he was. And I said, he said, he said he wouldn't vote for you because you held out. Now, what the hell does that have to do with playing football, holding out? Nothing. So I think both guys deserve it. So, Eric, to draw upon your answer, as a Hall of Famer, as one of the best in the history of our league at your position, do you think the Hall of Fame selection process needs to be altered and give former players more of a voice? Because right now, as you said, it's largely sports writers being the gatekeepers for Canton, Ohio. Most definitely. It should be changed. Because, look, I'm, I, you know, one thing about me is, is that I'm, I'm like, I'm this guy. You might not like a guy. You might not. Uh, care for the guy, but if he could play football, I'm going to give him his just due. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. Some of these writers, they hold this grudge where he didn't talk to me, he didn't talk to my buddy, or he treated me this way, so when I got, I can keep him out of can. So, I just feel like that the players, the guys who played the game, the played against guys, look, the sports writers, they really don't know who can play. They, 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 see, they see a game, they don't see you play every week. Guys who you play against, I lined up against. To me, another guy that should be in the Hall of Fame is Dexter Manley. I just don't understand this. You, I played against Dexter Manley. I will never forget. I played against Bruce Smith. I played against Lawrence Taylor. I know how these guys. I played against um, Richard Dent. I know how well. I know how great these guys are. When you line up against them week after week, a month, I mean, a year after year, and you see them, you're like, man, these guys, this guy can play. So I just feel like it has to be something done to take some of this power away from these sports writers. 
Eddie, answer this question for me. Now, I, I propose this to my partner over here, Brian Weber, and he's been a pundit all his life when it comes to sports and does a phenomenal job. But every once in a while, some of these guys, I say these guys, I'm becoming the athlete now, I'm on your side. They have a tendency to gauge some things just a little different and sometimes inconsistent, especially when it comes to this award, when it comes out to the Hall of Fame. Because T.O., it's it's laughable for why this guy is not in based on his numbers. They're just so good. It's second to none, and that's to even Jerry Rice. I said, you know what? These guys need to put on a full uniform at a camp for one period (laughs) <laughs> Buckle up the chin strap, put on the mouthpiece, put the pants on, the shoes, the shoulder pads, the whole gamut, and sit out there for 30 minutes to an hour and cover practice and get a level of appreciation. Understand that while guys been doing this from seven and all of a sudden got to the league and played their best football of their lives, now all of a sudden they get a chance to get in and they can't because you're doing sit-ups in the parking lot. What do, what is, what do, you, what do you think about these guys wearing uniforms like we did just one time, 30 minutes to an hour? Would that help? Let me tell you something. You know what? You know what? That's that's a great that's a great idea. But I'd even take it a step farther. Oh, I would like him to get on the field. Oh no! And take those hits and take well, rush a guy. They you won't be able to do that. Like. They won't just, cover just, the game just, no more. Just, They'll be done. Just, just even if you're not in the play, just to see how fast <laughs> it is, just to see how quick it is. And you can say, "Oh hell no! I'm good. I'm gonna go back and grab my pen and paper." <laughs> Just appreciation. That that that's all I'm saying. I'll probably never it get is. in. I mean, you know what? I'm it's just, just glad it's I know you guys. From a guy, it's no different from a guy writing writing an, an article. Look, I wouldn't know how. I mean, I could write an article. It wouldn't be nothing like. It wouldn't be as, as good, even close to what a professional writer would write, right. or a sports writer. You know, because that's his job. You know, that's what that's what he does the best. He's been doing it since he was a kid, and it's just like playing sports. You've been playing quarterback, like you you played quarterback when you was a kid. I played running back when I was a kid, so. As time goes on, you get better and better and better and better until you reach the, the pinnacle, and that's the National Football League. You can't go any higher there. Cordell wants me to put on the pad so I pass away, and he's a solo host. <laughs> Last one for me, E.D. <laughs> Jeff Fisher's looking for a new head coaching opportunity. What do you make of Fisher saying he left the Rams in good shape because the team is playing well? That's a sign that when Fisher walked away, everything was just fine with the Rams. You know – I'm going to a comedy show tonight, and the guest, the guest is going to be Jeff Fisher. He, he, he's a stand-up comedian that night. Man, please, are you kidding me? Let me tell you something. Jeff Fisher left this team. He, we had a good defense. We've had a good defense for years. Offensively, it was a joke, and I mean a big joke. We didn't know. We we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, when I watched him, the Rams play last year, I could almost tell you every play was going. It's going to open up. Was going to be a dive right, a dive left or a check down, or five-yard out. Every game. I mean, it, it never changed. And for for Jeff to say that he left his team in pretty good shape, he said pretty good shape. <laughs> to me, that's a sign of just what he is. He's he's mediocre. He's a mediocre coach. I mean, you can't you can't live on mediocrity. Being 8-8, eight and eight, and they feel that's a good season. To me, 8-8 eight and eight is a losing season. I don't care how you cut it. I mean, I just don't believe in that. I'm all about when I, like Like when I told Jeff last year, I told him, I don't care about hurting your coach's feelings. I want my team to win. That's what I'm all about, winning. And so in L.A. right now, we're winning. The team is happier. The city is happier. And that's what it's all about. And like I told Jeff Fisher, I said, Jeff Fisher, I'm going to always be Eric Dickerson of the Los Angeles Rams. I said, that's why I wear that gold jacket. I said, you will be Jeff Fisher of the Tennessee Titans, the Chicago Bears, or wherever. I said, but I will, all be Eric, I will always be Eric Dickerson of the Los Angeles Rams. And, and I was right. 
ED, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Great to see you on TV on Fox Sports 1. Keep it going. Look forward to saying hello in person when we get to the Super Bowl. For sure. Hey, take care, Cordell. Yeah, hey, you too, hey, bro. Good talking him, to get you. Him, get him in those pads. Get him in those oh, pads. Yeah. Oh, Shit. yeah. I'm working on it right now. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. Bye. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by injury expert Will Carroll. Will, thanks so much for taking the time. So let's start with the Bills as they get ready to take on the Jaguars on Sunday. How effective do you think LaShawn McCoy can be with the ankle injury? According to reports, he's out of the walking boot. Yeah, he's definitely out of the walking boot. And that's usually done more as a precaution. You see that when, uh, you know, it used to be you just put people on crutches. And when somebody come out of the locker room on crutches, you knew something was up. Now, it's walking boot. It's easier. You can store more of them. So uh, that's never really a sign that he's out of it. Hugely good sign. The next thing we're going to want to see is whether or not he can have any sort of lateral motion. Now, he's going to be limited, but they're going to brace him up. They might tape him up. They might do both. But they're going to want to get that ankle as stable as they possibly can, both physically and with bracing. And then they'll see how functional he is. Can he step off that foot? Can he make a hard cut? Can he make those quick stops and starts? I don't think he's going to be near 100%, but 75% of uh, Shady, uh, that's pretty shady. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty shady. It is shady uh, when it comes on Shady McCoy because he's been healthy a lot. Uh, but let's go to the Carolina Panthers and, and talk about how this team actually eased their way into the postseason. Kind of gimpy. Uh, Devin Funches, he's as gimpy as they come. He has an injured uh, shoulder. Give me your case and, and, and what yeah. you think about his situation. Yeah, this is going to be one of those times where we often hear the phrase, you know, if it was the playoffs, he played. Well, it is the playoffs. He played. If this wasn't the playoffs, he would not play. This is very, very similar to the situation that Chris Hogan had, where he missed several weeks. Now, Funches isn't quite as serious. He has uh, what we used to call a separated shoulder. It's an AC sprain, the joint in the front of the, of the uh, shoulder. Uh, it's just getting bashed, basically. These guys get hit hard. They land on it. There's just absolutely no protection. We've talked about this probably every week I've been on with you guys this year. Uh, that shoulder is just absolutely unprotected from these kind of motions. So what you're going to watch for from Funches is two things. Is he going to be able to reach up? You know, is Cam Newton going to have to hit him in the numbers every single time, or is he going to be able to go up and get the ball? The second is whether he's going to be able to keep somebody off him, and they're going to test that early. They're going to press him. Is he going to be able to push off? Is he going to be able to keep those defensive backs from pushing him one way or the other, throwing off the timing and the speed that he has? So he will definitely play, but how effective he is remains to be seen. Will Carroll is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Will, it's official. DeMarco Murray will not play again this week because of the MCL injury, but... Let's be optimistic. If the Titans upset the Chiefs, is there a chance Murray could play next week in the divisional round of the postseason? 
there's a chance, but it's not often the case, Brian. Normally, we're looking at about a month for a grade two MCL sprain. Now, the, the MCL isn't completely ruptured. There's still some structure, and there's obviously uh, some secondary stabilizers. But as we talked about, I think those secondary stabilizers were compromised as well. I talked about the hamstring. That hamstring tendon in the back is probably uh, involved. Just not it's stable. You can't have a table stand up if it's got one shaky leg, and one shaky ligament is a very bad thing. Wouldn't be able to cut, wouldn't be able to stop and start, and without those, you're not a running back. That Derrick Henry kid, he can take the load. How about the Buffalo Bills with, with Charles Clay? Uh, you see Shady McCoy injured, and now Charles Clay, yeah. he's uh, considered injured with the knee. Will he be able to play in this upcoming game? You know, I don't have a lot of information on Clay. They've kept this one very quiet. We don't know exactly what's going on with the knee, so we're going to have to watch him in practice today and tomorrow uh, leading into the weekend. Normally a good indication. But Clay has been a guy who hasn't played well with minor injuries. Sometimes it takes him a little bit longer to come back from him. And this isn't a knock on him. This isn't because he's soft. This isn't because he's... He's a bad guy or he's uh, lazy. No, some people just take longer. I mean, some of us get, get the flu and it takes us two days to get back to work and some of it takes a week. Uh, with him, he just hasn't played well. He hasn't healed quickly. And that's, that's largely genetic. So I would be worried about Clay, uh, especially in the weather conditions they're going to be facing. Injury analyst Will Carroll is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Is it reasonable to presume when we see the Steelers coming off the bye division around the postseason, Antonio Brown will be back from the calf injury? Largely so. I still want to see him out there. It's one of those binary things. The minute you see him run, he's probably fine. Uh, but until I see him run, I'm going to continue to worry just a little bit. The other thing here, and, and we don't know what the weather is going to be like uh, next week, and this goes back to what I was talking about with Clay. There is, when you get to these extreme conditions, certainly you know, if Buffalo was playing in Buffalo, it would be even more extreme. But playing in Kansas City, you know, here in the Midwest, it's pretty stinking cold. Uh, I do not want to be outside. I would not want to be out there with some kind of injury. You know, there are some advantages to the cold because it does numb some things, uh, but it's also very difficult to stay warm. And I, I don't mean in the sense of you know, standing by the heater, but in keeping those muscles loose and keeping those ligaments and tendons in the place they need to be. You see these guys stand on the sidelines or in the heater. It's probably the worst thing they could do. Run, move, get 53 uh, bikes out there. Uh, being able to stay warm, literally stay loose, uh, is probably a better way to, to say it, uh, but you've got to have those. And with that tight muscle, with it still healing, you've got to be very worried about that with Brown because it would not help them at all to have him go out there, make one cut, and feel that calf re-tear. How about the Atlanta Falcons with Julio Jones? Uh, we know every single year something's going to come up uh, sore or injured of some sort to where to hold him out of a game or not be able to practice during the week. Uh, but I think right now he's suffering with an ankle injury. How will how yeah. impactful will he be having a chance to play against the Rams this weekend? There's there's two things, Cordell, that we know about Julio Jones. Oh, my God, is he gifted. But my mom always used to tell me that God doesn't give you every gift. So he got almost every gift except durability. Uh, he's had the foot injury. He's had back injuries. He's had hamstring injuries. Uh, now with his ankle, you've got to figure it's at least somewhat related to that, uh, that foot. And that foot's been very problematic for him over his career, even going all the way back to his time at Alabama. So he's been able to play through these injuries. 
uh, and being a playoff, he's going to be out there. But they're going to test that ankle very soon. Can he uh, only go one direction? Is he going to be able to get the quick starts? Uh, Are they going to be able to shape him one way or the other, uh, depending on how that ankle works? Or are they just going to have to play him as a big physical guy? They could use him the way that uh, the Chargers have used Antonio Gates for years and basically just throw him out there, post him up, and let him uh, use that big body and those big hands to pull the ball in. And he could be fairly effective doing just that, but not as effective as they normally want him to be. Well, last one for me, since you're based in Indy, what were your takeaways from Andrew Luck's first media availability in a long time on Friday? I can understand him wanting to offer context as to why he decided to go to Europe, and he claimed it was mostly to remove himself, not be a distraction, but isn't it also reasonable to have a degree of an informed speculation? He was looking for aggressive treatment. Yes and no. I mean, we still didn't learn anything. You know, he says he didn't throw. He says he didn't get injections. There was obviously the speculation that he was over there for stem cells uh, or something along the lines of rejecting, which a lot of athletes have used and will continue to use. So what was he doing in Rotterdam? There's a, there's, you know, there's great speed skating at the Olympic Training Center there, uh, but there's not a lot of great slowers that I'm aware of. Not a big throwing uh, history with the Dutch, aside from, I don't know, Burke Blylevin? Was there anybody else? Uh, so, uh, well, you didn't just ad-lib that. You've used that line before. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Thank you. I'll okay, but continue. Was, You're on a roll here. Right? It. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where we still don't know if he can throw. And here's the really tough thing. The Colts don't either. He says he hasn't been throwing. But if he's doing a rehab program, wouldn't you want him throwing during a rehab program? Not hard, not throwing 50-yard outs, not throwing uh, timing patterns. But you've got to at least simulate that motion. So is he just not telling us? And if so, that's okay. But talking to people inside the Colts, they don't know either. They hope to know sometime in January he's going to start kicking up this throwing program. Uh, We're excited about it. Uh, but we're going to have to see, and we don't have any new information. Uh, Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard came out and, and really didn't add anything to the conversation. So, again, uh, take me to Missouri. They're going to have to show me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past. And discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Mike Wabshaw of the Vikings Entertainment Network. Mike, we know there are no perfect teams in the NFL, so I'm going to come up with the notion Minnesota is the most complete team in football, but what's the state of the offensive line based on some key injuries? Yeah, I think that's going to probably be, um, you know, the number two talker for us next week when the team returns and starts practicing, um, you know, is the health of that offensive line because they did not have Pat Elfline for week 17, as you guys know. And then, um, you know, a couple of other guys have been dealing with some injuries for the better part of the season, and we lost um, starting left guard Nick Easton. So, you know, the, the, the status of some guys, and then really what's the lineup going to be? You know, because the Vikings have had a couple of weeks now to think about 
what is the starting five going to be? Is it going to be, um, you know, just simply replacing the left guard, Nick Easton, with Jeremiah Searles, or are they going to consider sliding Mike Remmers to play guard, which he did in Week 17 against the Bears? Um, so really interesting to see um, what the Vikings decide to do for that going into the into the first playoff game. Overall, though, um, you know, the, the offensive line as a whole has played really well this season, and I'm sure that those guys are going to be – are going to be just fine and, and figure out the right combination. Mike, the best thing you can have as a football team uh, is the collective experience of being a part of playoffs uh, and having yeah. bye weeks. Give me your take because this team is not that experienced with with that experience of how is their week going this week? Like, are, are they on the same routine of what it was they had going on during the regular season? Yeah, you know, they had an interesting week because – Obviously, you don't know who the opponent's going to be, but they still practiced, um, you know, and, and wanted to kind of go through the motions and stay sharp and all that stuff. And that's right really that a lot of the players haven't had that playoff experience. I mean, you know, starting quarterback, Case Keenum, hasn't played in a playoff game. Um, you know, the good news is um, the coaching staff has, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, Mike Zimmer and, um, you know, in particular, um, has had a, a plenty of experience in the playoffs. So as a guy like Terrence Newman, and then the other most veteran guy on the roster is Brian Robinson, who's made the playoffs with the Vikings in 08, 09, 2012, and 2015. So the the balance of the team is mostly young and playoff inexperienced. Um, most of them got one game in in 2015. But some of the leaders um, of the team have been to the playoffs. Um, I'd throw Riley Reef in there, too. Mike Remmers has also been in the playoffs. He's played in the Super Bowl. So... You know, I think they did a good job this week of of not not ramping up the energy level to that of, of a game week, but not keeping it too low so that they would get lazy and lackadaisical. I think they did a good job of keeping it right in the middle. They practiced and worked Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, of this week, and then the players have Thursday through Sunday off. So I think they're going to be in a good spot, um, you know, mindset-wise and, and intensity-wise when they come back to work on Monday. Uh, I'm sure they'll do a little bit of work on whatever team we're going to play, Rams, Saints, or Panthers, on Monday, give them Tuesday off, and then and then start going full throttle on Wednesday. Chatting with Mike Wabshaw, Vikings Entertainment Network, Vikings team channel here on TuneIn. Mike, no one suggests in case Keenum is in jeopardy of losing his job heading into the postseason. He's been one of the best stories in all football. But what is the injury update on Sam Bradford coming back to practice this week, yeah. returning from the lingering knee issue? Yes. And that's why I said I think the health of the offensive line is going to be the number two. About the quarterback situation. And you're right. You know, no one's really going to suggest that it's not going to be Case Keenum, you know, who starts. I mean, he's going to start the game. But who's going to be the backup? Because Sam Bradford does return to to practice. and, And the Vikings have the option of having him in the mix to be the backup. Or do they stick with Teddy Bridgewater as the backup? And, and will Mike Zimmer even declare it? You know, because they could go into a, into a game with, with all three active or they could just choose to have two of them. I mean, that, that's going to be sort of a, an interesting subplot to the week. I think at the end of the day, um, Case will start. And if he's healthy, it's, it's going to be a moot point who's the backup. And obviously that's what you hope uh, happens. Uh, but it is very interesting to see if uh, Coach Zimmer has to declare it or if the situation arises where you've got to go to the number two quarterback who is that guy? I think right now, no one knows for sure. Why would there even be a conversation? Why would Case Keenum name ever come up 
honestly, when, with everything that he's done so far, he's done nothing yeah. but play the game well. He's done nothing but stay healthy. He's the one that put this team in position to have the bye week, have their first game played there in their in their dome, and now there's still conversation. His name still comes up about who could be the starter potentially or the thought of and who's the backup. Sam Bradford and Teddy Bridgewater are the backups. The starting quarterback of right. this team, of course, is Case Keenum. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. I, Cordell, I can't. I mean, look, look we're you, you're right. Guys, I mean, some people might tell you, might make a case for Case Keenan to be the MVP, and then some other some other joker is going to tell you he shouldn't be starting. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, you know the the variance in, in opinion someone can have on Case Keenum. He's, he's the MVP on one hand, or he's not even the starter on the other. But to me, I mean, the way he's played the game, um, the way he's handled moments for this team, you know, and you guys have been. I've been following the Vikings as, as well as all the other teams. I mean, for the first three years of Mike Zimmer's tenure in Minnesota, the Vikings were a defensive-oriented team that had an offense that was marginal, and the defense was dragging it along. That's not the case this year. This year, the Vikings have an offense that is contributing. I mean, look at the, the – we've talked about the game at Washington, and, um, you know, the Vikings scored 38 points in that game. And, you know, a game in which the defense gave up 30 points. So I think, you know, the offense has proven that it can be explosive and it can produce. And a big reason for that is Case Keenum. Mike, last one for me. We keep talking about the important development that could be occurring in Minnesota. Vikings making history, trying to become the first team to play in the Super Bowl in their home field. But if they yeah. make it to the big game, technically, they're still going to be the road team, right? Because the NFC is the away yeah. team this year. Yeah, that's right, and kind of interesting. You know, I mean, it's it's never happened where a team has played a Super Bowl in its own stadium, so we've never really had to deal with this issue of, you know, are they going to be treated like the road team because they're the designated road team, or are they going to be treated like the home team because they're actually the home team? And then how does the AFC team feel about that? And it's just, it's just a really interesting scenario, and it's kind of putting the cart before the horse because we're not, you know, the Vikings haven't even won a, a playoff game yet. And the NFC is a loaded field this year. Um, so it, it's a pretty interesting story. And, you know, some of the media, um, especially here locally, is starting to pick up on it and do stories on it. And will the Vikings get to have their locker room or will they have to go to the visitors' locker room and, and all of these things. And, you know, it's, it's sort of fun. It's fun fodder uh, for this time of year. And really it's something we haven't really had to deal with because the Vikings are going to host a divisional round playoff game the year that, their city hosts the Super Bowl, and that just hasn't ever happened before. So sort of an interesting um, situation. And you guys know how, how it works a lot of times with the NFL and rules. You know, something has to happen. A situation has to occur before a rule is addressed or changed. So it will be interesting to see if any changes are made to the protocol of, you know, a host city and a host team uh, based on the Vikings getting so close or maybe actually getting all the way there. So sort of interesting fodder for this time of year, for sure. I think, I think Mike, I think Coach Zimmer is going to do the right thing and, and allow it to be as it is because I, the rhythm and continuity of this football team derives around, I think, the guys that's been playing and getting it done. But do you think, or would you go out on a limb to say this may be the first time that the home team will be actually playing in the Super Bowl this year? Would this be the first year? Would this make history? 
with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny. Like, you know, I think that if you talk to Vikings fans, you know, they'll talk to you about all the times they've been so close and it was pulled out from under them. And, you know, the, the recent examples are the 2009 NFC title game against the Saints where the Vikings went went down to New Orleans with Brett Favre and Adrian Peterson and Percy Harvin and Jared Allen and played in an epic game against the Saints that went to overtime and lost in heartbreaking fashion. And then, of course, the 1998 team um, with Randy Moss and Chris Carter that went 15-1 and and lost the title game at home. But if you go back even further, I mean, the Vikings, like the Bills, the Vikings have lost four Super Bowls, played in and lost all four Super Bowls. So, you know, a lot of Vikings fans will, will cite a lot of heartbreak and, and say there's a curse. And I just I like to sort of quip back, you know, the, the football gods can even the score this year and have the Vikings play in and host the Super Bowl and win the thing. I think we could call it. Uh, I think we could call it even after that. So we'll see if it happens. I, you know, I have a good feeling about this team, guys. I've been this is my 13th season with the Vikings, so I've been through a lot of the ups and the downs, the Metrodome roof collapsing, the 2009 team that went to the title game, Adrian Peterson's MVP. Brad Childress, Leslie Frazier, now Mike Zimmer. I mean, this this is probably the best team that I've I've been around um, in 13 seasons. And so, where does that get us? I guess we'll find out once we start playing these playoff games. But with a defense that gives up 15.8 points per game, um, you know, and and even fewer than that at home, and a quarterback that's really done a nice job of taking care of the ball, I, I have a good feeling about the team. But we'll see what happens. Mike, as always, we appreciate the information. Enjoy the wild card games, and we'll chat with you next week getting set for the divisional round of the playoffs. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, guys. Have a good rest of the show. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017, from news and politics to true crime, comedy and history favorites we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone shows included dirty john s-town my favorite murder homecoming pod save america start your new year with these podcasts and more just search podcasts on tune in today welcome back to nfl no huddle the podcast here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart as we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, Cordell and I dig deeper into the postseason matchups. Cordell, first, let me take you back to interesting Q&A to kick off this week. We know the nature of the Philadelphia media. They are aggressive. They're looking for stories. Doug Peterson was asked, if Foles were to have a wobbly performance when we see the Eagles play in their divisional round postseason game, how much leash would he have? Is there a possibility Peterson would go to the backup, Nate Sudfeld? It's hard to say uh, right now and until until I'm in that situation. Quite honestly, I, I, listen, it's a it's a one game season, and and you know uh, it's it's hard to be in desperation mode. But if you're in that mode, you know who knows. Um, I do know this: it's not about one guy. You know, one guy, um, it's about, uh, you know, 11 on offense, defense, and special teams. So um, a lot of contributing factors uh, go into uh, going to winning a game. 
Doug got into a little bit of trouble there semantically because it was viewed by some members of the Philadelphia media as not a full endorsement of his quarterback. Peterson, media savvy, texted Ian Rappaport, our NFL insider of NFL Network, and gave him permission to tweet out what he said. Doug Peterson said directly to Ian, Nick Foles is my guy, period. I mean, you have to buy into that because there's there's no other, I want to say options, but because there are. Well, there's not. You're not going with Nate Sudfeld. I mean, when watching him play in that last game, I did like his body language. I That's know that good. Was just, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm just saying, okay. if you, if you, if this, this is the thing that you cannot take for granted. That if Nick Foles were to struggle, what do you do? <laughs> you hear the airwaves? Quiet. I think you ride with him. You're going to put Nate yeah, yeah. Sudfeld <sighs> on the field I, I, in the playoff game? Hey, let me tell you. What's your favorite Nate Sudfeld memory? Well, I mean, it, it was your favorite Nick Foles memory, huh? other than what happened a few years ago. I mean, you, you can only tally up the right type of information if you go off of what has he done lately. What has he done lately, Nick Foles, this year? He hasn't played that good. Very good against the Giants. Four passing touchdowns of the comeback win. Although I gave you my assessment, he was downright lousy Christmas night against Oakland. I'm just saying. Because I think Coach Doug Peterson is trying to lay it out and make it understood that we're going to do everything we can to win. Because I think we all watching the same thing. I don't think one guy is watching the television with his glasses on and the other guy that doesn't need them watching it differently. They're watching the body language of a Nick Foles as opposed to the other young kid that had the opportunity to go in and play. And all I'm basically saying is it's not a thing of do you jump the gun or are you thinking about jumping the but gun? Cordell, that was the first time Nate Sudfeld had ever played professional football in a regular season game. It's not a problem. You're going to put him on the field in the playoff game. I don't have a problem with How that. How did Connor Cook last year look to you? I don't have a problem with that. He's not going to start the game. But if we have to put him in the game, I wouldn't be scared to do it. I think that's what Doug Peterson is saying. He's not afraid to make that move. He's not trying to live and die just with Nick Foles if he goes out and give you a a 4 of 11 start of a a game. Why even say it to the media? Why not just say, Nick is my quarterback, period, end of sentence? Inexperience. I think he he wants to let everyone know that he's conscious of what's going on. That's just me. I mean... Nick Foles didn't, you know, this is crunch time, Brian. I mean, you don't get this far and all of a sudden you lose your prize possession in your quarterback in case Keen, in, uh, Carson Wentz, excuse me, and you just get to the point where it's like you're just going to fold up and say, I, I, just, I can't do it because he's never stepped on the football field before. You know, he's never had a chance to, to do anything. I mean, what has he done in the National? Have you seen anything on his kid? What, 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 did he, what did he do to make it seem like he was just so good? They know. We don't. Same thing when people, when they made the move to, to Nathan Peterman and everybody was so gun-ho. Yeah, they're going to talk about what happened after that. But everybody was so gun-ho about putting Nathan Peterman in. Oh, he's, he's married. He's, he's more stable. Very bright young man. Very bright young man. <laughs> All that <laughs> foolishness that has nothing to do with football. What happened? First eight passes, four interceptions. They see something in practice. For, for Doug Peterman, Peterson, to really come out and just unleash that conversation as if no one was listening. Well, then he's a fool. And he's been around the game for a long time. He's then played he's and coached. Fool. I think he got caught up in the moment, didn't realize the gravity of what he was saying. Well, I think he got caught up in the moment, spoke the truth. And the truth is, he's not living and dying if he sees there needs to be, if there's a need for change with a Nick Foles. Because if there's something, hey, Coach McDermott did it. He had a gut feeling. 
I would appre- I appreciate Doug Peterson's gut feeling more because he played the game and he saw it. No disrespect to Coach McDermott. I get it. But if I had to go off for two people that I've never met before, I have to take the collective experience of the game itself and understanding it more by being in it. Because to me, that wasn't the right move. Not even close. With but if we're going to play the hypothetical game, let's extend this to its logical conclusion. Okay. All right. So let's come up with the scenario. How bad would Foles have to be? You're benching them second quarter? You wait until halftime? Hey, man. Four of 11? <laughs> we're playing against a team in the Rams. Probably the Saints. If the seeding's hold, it's the Saints going to Philadelphia. Whomever. If that team gets started, if that team starts off fast and we're throwing interceptions, turning the football over, meaning... I know you're saying, can we make this move? The only way they make that move, I would say, to Nate Setfield, is what they're watching and seeing in practice and also in the film room. And it has nothing to do with anything else outside of the game of football. Get so sick of people doing that. Nothing outside of the game of football. Just football. X's and O's. Period. If he's playing good in practice, because remember, the backup has a tendency to go against the number one defense every single day. So that speed of that defense is much faster than the, the speed on game day because they're hesitant on what they do, what they're doing. The defense on that team that you're going against as a scout team quarterback, they're going full speed because they have an idea of what those formations are. So they're comfortable. They're not having things thrown at them from different directions, motions. They know these motions. They see the cue card. The coaches on the defensive side of football draws up, draw up the cue cards for the offensive scout team coaches. And then, and then all of a sudden, you see players like the Nate Sudfields fell that actually get a chance to go in and go against the Fletcher Coxes and the Chris, the Chris Longs of the world so on and so forth with all the great talent they have on their defense. So they may see something that we cannot we can't really sit down and talk about too much because all we can go off of is the experience of this young man. And how much does he have? None. Zero. Just clean up work in the last game of the season. So for whatever reason, Doug Peterson said it. I am going to have my eye open to see what was he talking about because Nick Foles is going to be the determining factor. I don't think if Nick Foles struggles to the point where the game is just getting out of hand, and whatever that is, he was he was somewhat saying from an from an undertone standpoint in this conversation. I think we'll end up seeing that. Don't you think he was really trying to say, "I'm going to leave all options open. I'm not going to be, to use your phrase, a prisoner of the moment." I think that was the intent that Peterson well, was that, trying to achieve, and the words did not come out properly. Well, if that if that was the intent, it, it, I think it still follows up with what even he said which was basically saying, well, I'm playing with 11 guys. I mean, I got to have the right 11 guys on the football field. And Nick Foles' name was the only one being talked about <laughs> when it came down to making sure that the right 11 guys are out on the football field. So I, I just think Doug Peterson is, is, is making sure that he doesn't screw this up because this is tough on this football team. You didn't just have a good quarterback. You had the, one of the best, if not the best quarterback quarterbacking taking place on the football field while Carson Wentz was healthy. His numbers still stand when it comes to touchdowns and interceptions, even over the guy who we expect to get or anticipate seeing have the MVP trophy this year. Some said that Carson Wentz was their MVP before he got injured. He was the MVP. It was just a matter of how could he finish the year. And unfortunately for him, ACL tear lost him for the year. 
So this is a lot on Doug Peterson right now. And how, how does he fix this problem? Because you know the people up there in the land of brotherly love is not so brotherly when things aren't going well. You saw what they did to Santa at one time. And everyone else that come in here that, that doesn't belong. Or they're upset about. Because it won't be an excuse of, well, you know, we didn't have Carson Wentz. So he, <laughs> we just didn't have a chance. Well, that's well, a legitimate explanation. When Carson Wentz went down, you had to revise expectations. Well, if you're being you, you do, you do, but you don't because Nick Foles has proven in his offense that he's pretty good. His numbers prove. Well, and here's proven. the problem. What Case Keenum's doing in Minnesota. Well, as Keenum's proving a backup can maintain continuity. Whoop. There it is. So, and this can, by the way, it is Case Keenum. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm not going to go there. I'll, I'll leave you alone. No, bring I'll it up. I'm right now. here for you. I'll leave you alone. Willing don't to worry. have that conversation. We have a lot of time. We have a lot of time. We have two weeks of stuff. Mm. I don't want to run my voice too thin. <laughs> I want to take my time. Um, so I, I just honestly feel, honestly, that it's, it's one of those cases where Doug Peterson is going to have to make some tough decisions if, if Nick Foles come out. But let's just anticipate seeing Nick Foles play well in his first game, playoff game, filling in for Carson Wentz. Well, if he doesn't, they're one and done. There's no margin for error. It's not double elimination. It's not the World Series. It's not best four out of seven. And you just imagine what's how it's going to be in the newspaper. For Coach Doug Peterson and how they had a week off to get prepared. And if it doesn't work, then what? Well, let's how just talk about that narrative. what's likely. And I was going through the seeding. So if the three seed, the Rams, defeats the six seed, the Falcons, we'll hear from Dan Quinn momentarily. And the four seed, the Saints, defeat the five seed, the Panthers for the third time this year. It's the Saints going to Philadelphia. This is early, Cordell, but I would like the Saints' chances in that game on the road. I don't care how cold it is. They no. can run with Kamara and Ingram, and they yeah, play better I, defense. I think they can. I mean, I think these are two tough runners. Uh, I don't think the cold is necessarily going to be a, a factor to the extent of them not being able to play well, to be honest. Um, it's just can they get started fast. The, the key to success on the road in a hostile environment such as this one if it just so happened to be the Saints or even the Rams, whoever it may be, is you have to get started off fast. You have to take control of the crowd noise now. Get your first, get the, you can get to the first first down as quick as you can. The quicker you get to that first down and convert it, the lesser the noise is as you go through that drive and also the game. Because you know they're going to get theirs at some point in time. And that noise will be extremely loud as if they've already won the championship because they're going to be so excited to see their offense on the football field and hopefully being able to get some good yards and some points. So it's important, whichever team travels to Philly, whichever team travels to Minnesota, it is important for the road team, Pittsburgh, New England, when that time comes, they, the deep, the team that travels, have to score early. I don't even care. It, it don't even matter if it's just a field goal. Can't be a bunch of field goals because I remember Steve Young talking about it back in 94-95 time in which they were going to the NFC Championship game and all they were kicking were field goals. And all he kept saying was, we cannot keep kicking field goals because two field goals, one touchdown, an extra point, we're up by one. Three field goals, one touchdown, one field goal, they're still up by one. All that work to still be down. And it's important that I think when these teams travel, especially now that we're talking about Nick Foles, 
that he he puts himself in position to take what the defense gives him by not trying to do more than what the off the offense and also the defense is allowing him to do. If he can do that, man, and, and, and put some of the pressure more on the defense to get turnovers and maybe try to put him in good field position or get some points, they, they'll have a chance to win that football game regardless of who they play, whether it's the Rams or if it's the New Orleans Saints. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. Thursday edition of NFL No Huddle on the NFL on. Tune in looking ahead to the final hour of the program, 6.30 Eastern time. Always a pleasure to talk Ram football with one of the greatest Rams players we've ever seen, the Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson. Always has strong opinions, and yes, I will bring up Jeff Fisher just for the good of the program, I'm sure. ED will love that, but Jeff Fisher's back in the news. He wants back in, and if we're thinking about Jeff Fisher connections to the postseason matchups, we got your guy Case Keenum, we got Jared Goff. Don't forget, Nick Foles briefly played for Jeff Fisher in St. Louis. Let's get you the Atlanta perspective. As we continue the countdown, the kickoff for Wild Card Weekend Primetime Saturday night, Falcons on the road taking on the Rams at the LA Memorial Coliseum. Here is the head coach of the Falcons, Dan Quinn. He's ready for the matchup. I think we certainly improved in the red zone. That was an area that we're really still working to address. Not only did we do it, you know, in the offseason, we did it actually in season. So um, what makes their offense difficult to go against is they challenge you uh, to defend the whole field, all three levels on pass routes, and so they can really spread you out. So uh, our ability to communicate, that's going to be a factor. Uh, our speed, for sure, where we can play really fast, uh, that's a factor. But we're really pumped for the challenge. Wayne also saying that the challenges this year for the Falcons on their way to a wild card has them primed for the playoffs. It's always good to be battle tested in anything that you're doing. But when you get into the game, you know, it still comes down to that format. You know, how do you handle the buildup and going on the things outside? You know, do you stay consistent for the things that are inside your walls and control the things you can? I think that's an important piece. But as far as like playing in the game, it's going to feel exactly like normal uh, when you get to that spot. It's how do you handle the things outside? Let's give the final word to a player that the Rams are going to have to figure out how to slow down Julio Jones. Anywhere, any place, anytime. Just having that mentality. It's easy. Just keep it. Just keep it simple. Just um, trust the process. Um, do what we've been doing here, and um, you know, just preparing for any other week. Uh, and no added pressure. You know, it's like you can't have those guys. Oh, it's the playoffs. We got to go out here. We got to do this. We got to do this. We all know that, obviously, but we can't. You know, uh, shorten our prep or or get too anxious. We just got to do what we do and put the work in. Cordell, four big games coming up this weekend, Wild Card Weekend. If I made you pick the underdog, most likely to pull off the upset, a reminder, Titans are the underdog in Kansas City. The Bills, the underdog in Jacksonville. The Saints are favored to beat the Panthers for the third time. Atlanta, an underdog on the road in L.A. taking on the Rams. Among those underdogs I mentioned, which team do you think is most likely to pull off the upset? That that's a that's a really good one. Um, Atlanta, I don't think they'll have a chance uh, to pull off that upset. I like the Rams. Um, you have the Titans traveling to Kansas City. No, you Demarco Murray. He's out with a knee injury. Demarco Murray, just Derrick Henry. Um, you have Buffalo going to Jacksonville. Yeah, but Lashawn McCoy gimpy with the ankle issue. But he said he's going to give it a go. Yeah. Um, and which other one am I missing? The Panthers on the road in New Orleans. The Saints have scored better than 30 points head-to-head against Carolina twice. And, and it's almost like I want to say the hometown teams will win these games. But 
Blake Bortles has been known to throw the football to the other team a lot. And I honestly think that if there's a team because of what we've seen of Todd, Tyrod Taylor protecting the football, that they have an opportunity. The problem is, can they score? That, 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 that's the problem. If there's a team that can do something special, it's going to sound crazy. I'll go with the Atlanta Falcons. Their offense is explosive. Their front four is about as good as it can get when it comes down to them actually getting off uh, the line of scrimmage. Will they be able to contain what Sean McVay actually brings to the table when it when it comes down to creativity? Uh, if, if there's an upset to be had, while I do love the Buffalo Bills against the Jaguars being an upset, I do um, love even the, the Tennessee Titans have an opportunity to create an upset because – this is a playoff game, and we've been knowing this Kansas City Chiefs team to play one game and be gone. And now they're having a chance to play at home. It is Alex Smith. I can see that game potentially being an upset. So I'll go with the Falcons. And I'm with you. And I know it's hard to have faith in Atlanta team that's been wildly inconsistent. And you're in Atlanta. You can speak to the mindset of Falcon fans. If you're listening to any sports talk radio, Cordell, are they confident or they figure, meh? We got to the Super Bowl last year, 28-3 third quarter. Is it gloom and doom in the ATL? It's not gloom and – no, it, it's it's bright. I mean, they're back in the postseason. <laughs> Most teams don't make it back to the postseason after going to the Super Bowl, right? That That's always been the conversation. And they struggled to get to this point. I mean, they, they literally limped in to the postseason because Seattle couldn't handle their business and Carolina and Cam Newton had to give up three interceptions. I guess because he purposely wanted to let him in the division, let him in the postseason. Probably did on purpose. I'm telling you, on purpose. Um, but I got to be honest with you, man. I just, for me personally, just watching them, I, I have my, I have my issues. Well, look at Matt Ryan's I think Ryan's everyone numbers. here is optimistic, man. Everybody's excited because their team is still okay. playing. That's fair. Their fans are supposed to be upbeat. But look at Matt yeah. Ryan's numbers last five games of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know. I get it. I mean, they've been playing against teams that's within their division from Tampa to Carolina to the Saints, and, and they've struggled. They've struggled. Matt Ryan has struggled tremendously. But I think this, this comes a time where it's going to come down, I think, more to what they didn't do well in the Super Bowl now that they're in the dance, and that's running the football. Keep that high-powered offense of the Rams on the bench. Allow that creativity to have to play from behind. Force this young group of players, as you've mentioned, six guys have experience, uh, have uh, playoff experience, along with the with the defensive coordinator, Wade Phillips, and maybe a few other assistants on this roster that have playoff experience. So you take your experience as a team and as a head coach and Dan Quinn, who played with the Seattle Seahawks and gone to a couple Super Bowls, who played with the Atlanta Falcons, who took his team to a Super Bowl in his second year as a head coach. You take that group of players' collective experience in the postseason against this young group. If there's something to hang your hat on, if that's what you want to convey to your football team, I think that gives this team hope because now it becomes a fresh start. Everyone's 0-0 now. There's really no gangster of love in the postseason other than the top teams that are in those conferences, and that's not even a guarantee. So it, it, it's going to be one of those things for me where if the Falcons want to win, 
they can't lean on to what you've just talked about, which were the stats of Matt Ryan over the last three to four weeks, which is something you can't ignore. You have to think about what, what, what were those stats like and why to allow it to not occur again as you move forward into the postseason, which is you're trying to make him do it. You're trying to make him throw the football. You want him to be that MVP that he was last year, and he's not that guy because right. it's a different approach. Different play caller, and I think last year was the outlier. I think we're seeing more of the true Matt Ryan, in my opinion, this year. Go back and look at how many interceptions he threw at Boston College if we're going to dust off the how many picks you throw in college and what does it mean for the NFL? Well, I, I get it. I get it. That That's just who he's always been. It, it hadn't really changed. Last year was his best year of his career. All the other years, we've seen him be in games, having opportunities to win. He would put the team in position to kick the field goal and win games, or he would throw the costly pass. And I think this year, it's been tougher from a standpoint of costly passes than it's been throughout his entire career. Maybe because of the change and, you know, Steve Sarkeesian comes in with with the mindset of, of, of trying to run whatever system he has in place. Uh, and then, then these players trying to find their way through how the plays are being called. I mean, that, 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 that is a component of the game, man. And it, it takes a rhythm and, and a feel. And sometimes, you, you, you know, like when working with someone for some time, you kind of know the pulse and the energy and the rhythm of the conversation, the rhythm of the body language, the rhythm of the play calling, the rhythm of games because you've been around each other. The rhythm of the trap play where the guard pulls and you have the fullback counter stepping along with the tailback and having to hand the football off and knowing that guard on the left side is Alan Fanica for the sake of conversation who I played with in Pittsburgh, who's one of the finalists for the, the Hall of Fame. Jerome Bettis, he knew his, his steps. He understood how he needed to be patient sometimes because they had that rhythm together. Steve Sarkeesian, I don't think they have that rhythm to the extent that Kyle Shanahan had with this football team last year and had a couple of years actually with these players to where end up having Coleman and Freeman out of the backfield. He used them tremendously well to where the play action pass game came into play, had the main coverage because the running game was so good by putting eighth man in the box. And now you do have that one-on-one coverage with Julio Jones and Sanu. And then you get that one-on-one coverage with Freeman, who was the better receiver of the two backs out of the backfield with he and Coleman. And you saw him get those option routes against linebackers. So I just thought the creativity by Kyle Shanahan was second to none. This is Steve Sarkeesian's first run at it, coming fresh out of college under Nick Saban and his conservative approach. So now you come in with this elaborate, elaborate, let's just say offense that has all these pieces when it's time to have toys come going into Toys R Us. It's like, what aisle can I go down? Let's just get all the owls out of the way and just put all the toys in the middle of the floor. Where are the Cabbage Patch kids? And then the back? I mean, I'm looking for those. I, I mean, there's a couple of them mm. around somewhere. I haven't I haven't heard of those in a long, long time. Very popular 1985. Is that the last time you was watching TV when the Cabbage well, Patch kids were Bro, out? I'm in my mid-40s. I don't have kids. I shouldn't be out of the Toys well, R Us. you don't have TV because you don't watch that for what I understand. Well, I think it'd be um, odd if I was walking around <laughs> the Toys R Us in my mid-40s without kids. Wait. Hey, you know what? You have nephews and nieces. Come on. Online, man. Online. You have friends. You have friends. Yeah. You're, your uncle, your uncle, your uncle, uncle Brian. Brian is some of these so kids. I had, to, I had to get a new phone. I have so many nieces. Hey, if we're talking about connections, subtle joke there, to yeah. the L.A. Oh, Memorial boy, Coliseum. You. you got it. You got me loud and clear. Steve you. Sarkeesian back at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. You'll recall his USC connections, mm-hmm. head coach and play caller for Pete Carroll when they were winning national championships. Yep. I don't think this one's been talked about enough. 
Sean McVay calls the plays, but the Rams do have an offensive coordinator on the staff. It's Matt LaFleur. Well, Matt LaFleur mm-hmm. last year was the quarterback coach of Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. So some intel there if you're thinking about preparation. As we get closer to hour number two of the program, coming up 525 Eastern time, we're talking Viking football on the bye. Getting ready for the division around the postseason. Always fun to spotlight the team from Minnesota. When we say hello to Mike Wabshaw from the Vikings Entertainment Network and the Vikings Team Channel here on TuneIn. Cordell, obviously the Raiders are looking to make a statement on their way to Nevada. That's the motivation, in my view, to go after a quote-unquote rock star head coach in John Gruden, who still has at least one more game to call for ESPN. He'll be in the booth Saturday when the Chiefs host the Titans. But irrespective of the fascination with Chucky, Felt like there was momentum growing within the Raider organization to part ways with head coach Jack Del Rio for the last month, despite the fact he got the contract extension. Let me give you a really interesting nugget in terms of where Derek Carr is now mentally heading into the offseason. Greg Papa, longtime Raiders play-by-play man on the Raiders radio network, also hosts a talk show, 95-7 The Game in San Francisco. So as he was laying out the reasons why he thought that Del Rio got fired one year removed from making it to the playoffs, he told a story that after the Raiders had a lousy loss on the road in Kansas City, and that game wasn't even close. According to Papa, who's the radio voice of the team and has good sources, the coaching staff led by Jack Del Rio turned on Derek Carr in front of the entire team and blamed him individually for that loss. Well, Papa knows that. I'm guessing Mark Davis knew that as well. So there is a school of thought. Whomever the next head coach of the Raiders is, it's probably going to be John Gruden. When John Gruden takes that job, he's got to work on Derek Carr's psyche and confidence now heading into a new season. So it it, it goes from me being hard on the narrative that's being created around him to now all of a sudden they need to work on him because all the coaches are getting. So it's not just me having a sentiment, not saying that he cost him the game, but it's just, I am not jumping out in the middle of that ocean because of a big contract that I think it was his time to get. He's the face of the organization. Davis family is locked in with him. It's long with Jack, along with Jack Del Rio, but there's other coaches that have different sentiments. And so now here it is. There's a disagreement with this quarterback and how he's playing. Now, is that play- unusual? For the um, franchise quarterback to be called out in front of the whole team by the head called coach? Called out, yeah. Called out. I, I, I can understand that conversation being had in the, in the meeting room with the coaches. Um, I get that part. Uh, it, it happens all the time with disagreement of how a player played and maybe that coach that's coaching him having his back. Uh, but that to me, it goes to show you how dysfunctional that organization was and to me why they were inconsistent. As much as I appreciated Jack Del Rio, and, and, and I'm not into, you know, trying to substitute goodwill and re- appreciation of uh, talking to him at the coaches, the owners meeting, all that stuff, because my job is to, is to critique and analyze what it is. He's going to talk to us whether he wants to or not. That's just the nature of the beast. That's their jobs to get paid to do that. But it wasn't good when you really break it down with. I think the temperament of that position as a head coach, because being a former player and also being a coach, you know, sometimes, sometimes when having to drive that, that, that firm hand with some cases, you know, the, the other coaches see what you're not doing. 
when it's time, when you know it's your responsibility to address some issues. And I think those other coaches, when it comes to, when it came down to Derek Carr, probably was basically saying in, in, in so many ways that Jack Del Rio didn't do his job the way they thought he should have when it came to handling him. And so, you know, here it is, you having these coaches having this conversation in the meeting room amongst even the players to where now the psyche of a Derek Carr is extremely fragile. That won't work if you have John Gruden coming in. He's going to shape you up real quick. He don't want to hear you complaining. He don't want to hear you whining. No, I heard Chris Sims talking about it with Mike Florio on Pro Football Talk Live. He said that Gruden was extraordinarily demanding in Trust their time me. together at Tampa Bay. So if his feelings is hurt, he has enough money to get it fixed. Make sure he comes into that facility getting himself prepared. Throw that, throw that stuff out of the window. That when it comes to business and taking care of some stuff, you have to be sociable. I get it. And sometimes things are going to be a little frustrating. But you better make sure you do your job, especially when it comes to John Gruden, because I think he drives a, I think he drives a, a tough one when it comes down to having a firm hand on what he's, what he did, how demanding he is. And I, and I think many have said that it's, it's not just one or two players. There's been a lot of people that said it, and I think that's why. Uh, and even Rob Johnson, before he got with him, was having success. When Brad he was Johnson, in the great Brad Johnson. I'm saying Rob Johnson. Same Brad guy, Johnson. Same guy. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it does matter because te- he, he screwed it up when he was out there with Doug Flutie in Buffalo. <laughs> and he, plus, he was a USC guy, <laughs> too, by you the go. way. Hey, bro, yeah. I'm the one who gave away all that money to USC. I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to be angry about USC, right. not you. Uh-huh. And so it, it, it comes down to it's just being the case for Brad Johnson that he knew that road travel in Minnesota was a tough one team was good just couldn't get over the hump but man as good as he was in Minnesota he was just as good in, in Tampa and he was like man coach is just he's just on you and on you but it's for the right reasons because he looks for perfection and why not push you to a place that you've never been pushed before to get the most out of you so when it's all said and done in the end guess what you gave 110% because that was a good football team before Gruden got there and I think when he came back and drove the hand and, and everything that he did drive when it came down to getting those guys' attention, even frustrated Keyshawn Johnson for a little while. <laughs> Who couldn't frustrate Keyshawn Johnson when he didn't get the ball, right? So, I, I you know, hey, Derek Carr's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. But he, got some, he has to play much better, though, in, in order to get my vote from the standpoint of being one of the top elite quarterbacks in the game. Because as of right now, he's too inconsistent. But he's a good quarterback, but he's inconsistent. And I think he has a chance if he were to get John Gruden. I think, matter of fact, his upside is going to be really high because Gruden's going to make sure that he goes out on the football field and perform the way he's supposed to. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.